You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey everyone, welcome to Page to Stage. A conversation with theater makers. We're your hosts. That's Brian. And that's Mary. This episode is part of our series on Chicken and Biscuits, a new play by Douglas Lyons. In this series, we uncover the process behind the play through our central question. How has this play fed your soul? We hope you enjoyed this episode. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hi, my name is Lawrence E. Moten III, and I am the scenic designer for Chicken and Biscuits. Amazing. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Of course. We're very excited. What's most exciting for me about this episode is that we've been podcasting for about two and a half years now, and you're the first scenic designer that we've had on. So we're really excited for that. I'm honored. If we could begin by just talking about at what point did you join the Chicken and Biscuits team? And what, what did those conversations look like for you? This is one of those stories that I think will stay with me for the rest of my life, actually. So it was May 12th, 2021. I was packing my apartment because I was moving. I was in the middle of packing up my studio. I 
missed a call because my phone was in the bedroom and I was in the studio working and I like looked at my watch and I was like, oh, you have a missed call on a voicemail. I wonder what that is. And it was from a number I didn't know and didn't have in my phone. Um, and it was the director, Jalen, giving me a call and having left me a voicemail. I just said no to Jalen on another project. Um, it just wouldn't line up. The contract wasn't something that I felt comfortable with. I've been excited to work with Jalen for a long time. Um, and that one just hadn't lined up appropriately or correctly and left me a voicemail. Hey, Lawrence, I got another project we might be able to collaborate on. Give me a call back. I was like, okay, I'm packing. I'll, I'll get back to him when I can. My buddy, who is the lighting designer on the show, texted me and was like, did you answer that phone? And I was like, no, I, I didn't. I'll, I'll give him a call back. And he texted me. He's just like, call him back. Call him back right now. <laughs> and no context, no nothing. I mean, like, all respect to Adam. He wanted that to not be a thing that he let slip, right? That was Jalen's honor and job and thing to do. So I call Jalen back and we get on the phone. He is very oblique about it at first. Um, I got a show. It's going to rehearse September, be in front of audiences in October are you free? Yeah, Shaylin, I'm free. And like my, I mean, it's 2021 work is still not started up yet. All of those things. So yeah. And like I've said before, and I said in our last meeting, we were talking about that other project. I've been excited to work with you and I'd be honored to work with you. And he's like, great. So it's on Broadway and I'd like you to make your Broadway debut with me. Y'all, my brain broke. We talked for another 30 minutes. I cannot remember what we said. And like, I know we talked, like I had been the associate on what the constitution means to me. I'd been a, uh, a colleague of Rachel Houck's for a long time and she was gracious enough to call me and be like, I want you to get this experience that when the door is open for you, you have something else uh, to lean back on and, and have that experience to rely on. So I was very grateful for that. So we like talked about that. I think I, at some point he said something else. He asked me a question and I literally had to pause and be like, Jalen, you broke my brain. I don't know what's happening right now. So like, yes, I want to do this project. I'm still freaking out about it internally. I think I'm still freaking out about it internally all these months later um, because I'm honored and I'm excited. And like, that was, that's how I joined the project. <laughs> that that really seems to be like a thread. We, we spoke with Douglas. We just spoke with Twee, like, and other conversations that I've heard, like, it feels like that for everyone making their debut, that it, the way that it came about, I mean, I did not know that that the Jalen did just kind of threw it on you like that and did not mention that it was Broadway until afterwards. But yeah, I mean, it feels very surreal. I feel like especially after what, what the last 18 months have looked like for everybody um, and, and not working most of us. And so I think that's it makes it all the I can't I have to imagine it makes it all the more special um, to jump right back into to live theater in this way. Yes. And I think the like quickness of it was because no one knew. Right. It was the gamble. Like we can all hope what's happening in the world of COVID-19 is what it is and that we're making the strides that we all want to be making, but it still was a gamble. And so the kind of obliqueness and what's it going to be, I think the hardest thing is as we've been restarting and getting back into the world of live theater is that at a certain point, you have to hold your projects at a distance because as much as you want to love them, as much as you want to commit to them. And like, to be very clear, I fully committed to chicken and biscuits and and put that emotional rawness on the line because if things had gone the way that we didn't want them to go and right rise of the delta variant all of those things like all of that that whole rug could have been pulled out from under us and we could have been left with a show that we couldn't mount 
so it was fast. I think it had to be fast because that gamble had to be like, oh, we think we can do this. Let's go. Um, so that makes sense to my brain, but it was still um, a joyous whiplash of a few months to get us there. <laughs> and now after you've told Jalen that you wanted to do the project, when we were speaking with Twee, she has a an agent. Do you have an agent for scenic design? And so what, what do those negotiations look like in terms of a designer's contract? What are you looking for? What are your agents looking for? That's really interesting. I've had an agent for a few years now. I really do work with them to say that, like, I want to make sure that I have the support that I need, both uh, labor-wise and monetarily. So um, I I think this show needs this many weeks of an associate. Um, so negotiating to make sure that that person is, one, getting paid appropriately, and that, two, they have the number of weeks because associate contracts on Broadway are different and it's by week, which we split that up in different ways. So that making sure that my fee is consumerate with like what we think the difficulty or expansiveness of the project is going to be, um, right? Because I am a USA 829 member, there are certain negotiated rates that are like the baseline, but as every union member should or would say those are minimums for a reason we are always allowed to negotiate up and we should negotiate up and my agents do that on my behalf um so making sure that like i'm making money right and that it is a fight like we always want to talk about theater's art i love the art that we do but it's how i pay my bills so like there is an element of the business to this that has to be negotiated and i work with a team to make sure that like i can give them my kind of ethereal, these are the things I want and need, and I can get into the business of like, I want to make the thing, they make sure that that contract is finalized so that I have that support and that my art is mine and I own that intellectual property and that all of those clauses are there to make sure that like, I can provide to the producers and the producing team what it is that they want and those terms are set. Um, so it's a back and forth, you know, it's often um, my agents going and talking with the general managers and producers and then reporting back to me and us having a conversation about what are these terms and do I agree to them or do I want different things and then going back and forth. And I listen to the recommendations of my agents, right? They have been doing this for a very long time. I trust them. Um, I'm new to them, right? My uh, first agency did not survive the pandemic financially. And so it was a switch. And so we were uh, in the midst of getting to know each other as client and agent. And uh, I'm very happy with them. They represent me very well. Um, but yeah, it, it was just a kind of like I emailed them being like, hey, I know I'm a new client, but I just got a Broadway contract, so get ready. <laughs> That's the best way to enter an agency. <laughs> <laughs> Truly, though. It was really lovely. <laughs> Amazing. And I think, I mean... We've, we've had this conversation about contracts with other guests in the podcast before, and I, I think it's so fascinating for anyone who's listening that... But not so much with designers, which... No, is, no, 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 I'm absolutely. finding so interesting, you know, these last two conversations we've been having with designers and like hearing what they need to have in their contracts and what yeah. is considered a priority in, in their departments. Exactly. I was going to talk about like advocating for yourself is very important, obviously, but can also it can also take away from from your art a little bit. And so having that support team of an agent or a team, a manager, I imagine is very helpful and 
also just makes it a little bit easier for you because that way you're able to kind of separate yourself from the business a little bit and really focus on on the design, the create, you know, the creativity. So I'm curious to jump into like pre-production time. What were some of the first steps that you took um, while you were reading the script or maybe after you were reading the script? So we knew we were on a compressed timeline, which like hooray, you've made a Broadway, you're making your Broadway debut, you have even less time, but like, fine, capable of it. I think um, we all knew that. And so we were all game to make it work um, because we were so excited. I think what I, uh, the first thing I did was read the script. I laughed, I cried, I gasped, and I'd never even heard it off the page. It was just my brain putting those voices together and my brain putting in what, uh, bringing to life in my mind what Douglas had put on the page. And I was so excited. Um, I was so excited. And so I uh, got on the phone with Jalen again, and we just started talking about the play and what resonated for us and what didn't, what were the questions we had? What did we want to bring to life? What did we really want to focus on? I think in those first conversations, um, after having read the play, I'm not there to find answers. I'm actually there to ask more questions. I think uh, in the search of art and what it is that we want to do, I want to open up what the play can be rather than lock in what the play can be. And I think that uh, is why I love new plays so much. And like new play development is really exciting for me because talking with a living playwright and getting to ask them what questions I have from a scenic standpoint, like I've read your words, here's what I imagine. Does that line up with what you were imagining or with the world you envision for your play? Or does it bring new questions for you? And so working with Jalen, who had experience with the play and knew Douglas. And so there was this kind of like, really wonderful world where like we could have conversations and bring Douglas in when it was time to bring Douglas in and get those notes and see where, you know, what our imaginings were bringing up for him and what the changes wanted to be. That's where we started. And then, you know, Douglas has written such a full and rich world that it also came with imagery. There was an entire design deck of images that Jay, uh, that Douglas, I apologize, that Douglas had put forth to say like, these are the images that are the, that are the world of the play for me. And they were glorious. They were so telling. They were so rich and alive right then and there that I knew the world he wanted to explore. And I could put my artistic lens on top of that and merge them together, which was so exciting. Do you find that helpful as a designer of having that like initial imagery from the playwright who has, who has created this world from scratch? I think if a playwright has those images, I welcome them right? I think information is information. Now it's up to myself and the director and the rest of the creative team to choose what we're going to take or what we want to then alter or, or investigate further. Um, but I always welcome it because I think we are always stronger together than we are alone. It's a collaborative effort. We are a stronger storytelling team when we give that information and offer it up to the group to say, the best idea in the room is the best idea in the room stole that from Rachel Houck. I will keep that motto to the day I, motto to the day I die. Um, because I think it, it, it helps remind me that like, yes, I'm the scenic designer. Yes, I wanna, I'm the person in charge of bringing together the physical world of the play, but I can't and shouldn't be responsible for all of those visual ideas. It should be a conversation with the lighting designer, with the sound designer, with everyone in that room to say, what are the things we're all seeing what are the things that we're all asking questions about and how does that then land in me? How do I interpret that? 
And then how do we shift it together to bring it to life? And then at what point did you find out that you guys were going to circle in the square? And how does that then alter? I always knew that. Oh, okay. Okay. From jump. I was brought on at a point when the space had already been decided. So then knowing that when you're going through the script, how are you using the space? Are you, are you visually thinking about how you're going to turn circle in the square into the set of chicken and biscuits? And, and how does that come into play at all? Absolutely. I think um, for me, design and scenic design is always a response to the space we're in, right? Chicken and biscuits would look different in Circle in the Square than it would look in the Helen Hayes, than it would look at the Niederlander, than it would look at the Neil Simon, because it is a response to the physical architecture that we are in and how we want to have the audience engage with that architecture, both visually and physically, right? That's the beauty of live theater. You're sitting there. How does that thing make you feel in your chest, right? And in your bones. So um, when we toured the space and understood what the constraints of the space were going to be, it made it very clear that there were certain ways we wanted the space to function. And for us being the space we were in and the configuration that we were starting from, given the speed of the process and that configuration was the one that was fastest for us to get into, we started there. And it, in conversations with Jalen, the conversation was whatever design we land on should feel like it's the inevitable design for this production and for the story we want to tell. And so started instantly sketching within the confines of what is Circle and Square, found the photo, put it on my iPad, started sketching and tracing and just like starting to put that artistic freedom right on the page for us to start talking. But it's always a response to space. So like whatever the space is and whatever the producers and general managers and the team that is above the pay line for me says, this is where we'd like to start. That's where I start. And whether it was happenstance or not, that circle in the square was open. It it is like the perfect space for this play and the way that it's been directed and designed and everything like that. It is perfect for that experience of Douglas's words and it's church. That's what I have been telling people since seeing it. It it felt like I went to church. That's so, that's so great to hear because our conversations were, how does the audience feel like they're going to sit down and feel like they're sitting down in a community that they're going to church and that they are uh, enveloped by the story and enveloped by the action of the play. Yes, there's going to be the the main part of the action that you see on the thrust in the deck, what that is and what that main playing space is, but that like, you're going to turn around, right? You're going to look behind you. You're going to look across and there are going to be moments that surprise you. And I think what Jalen said so brilliantly is that there should be little nuggets of a surprise for every audience member to see that someone else may not get, right? Because it's such a large playing space and because he was going to be staging for that whole circle, there was going to be moments where someone might not get everything, right? That's the difficulty and joy of thrust and of, of a thrust show of that size, right? I think Jalen staged it brilliantly and, and everyone gets as much of the story and, and, you know, uh, on photo call night, you could see the photographers, myself included, running around the theater because we were trying to make sure that we got all of the good angles. And it is the mark of good staging when the photographers have to sprint through the theater to catch the good angles because it's been staged to bring all of those angles to as much of the audience as possible. Making sure we hid those little pockets of joy to say that like, oh, I got this and maybe someone else didn't. So there are little jokes, little things that like, 
if you're in different parts of the audience at different moments of the show, you're going to get something different. Have you designed in the round or in the thrust before? Was it something that you um, enjoy doing? So I feel like they're, I, from what I've heard from other designers, they either love it or they're not sure or they, they've not done it before. So I'm curious as to what your takes on that. I really enjoy in the round and thrust. I did a really fun production of, well, fun, a really enjoyable production of Native Sun. I don't know that Native Sun is a fun show per se. It's a very heavy show, but I, I really enjoy it. Nambi E. Kelly's new uh, interpretation of Native Sun at Playmakers Rep, which is also a very deep thrust uh, perf- performance space. Um, I think thrust is a challenge. I really enjoy the challenge of it. I think what I like about in the round and thrust is that it requires us as artists to an extent, um, it forces abstraction, right? I can't put an entire living room on stage in the round because I'll block the sight lines of the audience, right? And I need people to get everything. And I am an abstractionist. I find that like something both you, Brian, and you, Mary, have talked about is that like the give and take and what is the audience experiencing and how do we as audience members drop in? And I find that abstraction or allowing the audience to bring their own imagination to the storytelling creates a deeper connection and a deeper give and take. And that for me as an artist, and I speak from the eye, it is a far more enjoyable experience personally. And so it's the kind of theater I like to do. And so I don't want to give the audience everything. I want to give them enough that then they give their own part of the story. And so that we become mutual tellers of this story, your mind's eye, what I've given you on stage, you overlay and add to it so that the experience feels richer. And that's my take on what like, thrust and in the round can ask of it. And I think any form of theater can ask that of us. I think abstraction can fit in all forms of theater. I think hyper-realism can fit in all forms of theater. It just takes different modalities and skill sets to do it. Um, But I think the moment we were in thrust, the moment we had multiple locations to go to, and the moment those switches had to be so fast, and it's comedy, so I don't want us to be stopping the show and lugging on a whole new set and like what are those things so like my job is to get out of the way my job is to be able to let those transitions happen quickly so that the engine and motor of the comedy still keeps going right like just because if we stop it then we're not laughing and that motor dies and like how do i support right i think the three words i often use um in service to there was some masterclass at some point in my design career. Um, I think it might have been Clifton Taylor, but I'm not sure. Just saying that like the three most important words for a designer are in service to. We're in service to the play. We're in service to those actors because they are the ones going on stage seven, eight times a week and performing. And so if I haven't done my job to support them in their storytelling, then like, what am I doing? (laughs) I really do love that. I've always wanted to hear a scenic designer talk about the process of choosing a color palette because like it's a very pastel. It seems like your color palette was very pastel oriented, purples, yellows, oranges, wood. I'm a research based designer. and I don't know that that's a real term, but like I, I, I do a lot of research. Again, I, a student of Rachel Houck will do hundreds of images of research to understand what a space looks like and feels like. And I think early on in my design career can be the pitfall of any young designer. Um, you don't do enough research. You find like five, 10, 15 images, and now I'll find hundreds, right? It's just a thing where like, I need to know. 
I need to know what that space looks like. And to know that we were going to a church, to know that we were going to a black church, like what does that space look like? What does that space feel like? I may not be able to put every single item on stage, but how do I find that, what I often refer to as the emotional container of that space? And how do I find that plane, that vibration, that feeling and put it on stage? Um, And again, coming back to, Douglas's images, stained glass, stained glass, stained glass. It permeated every part of the imagery that we talked about. Um, One of the brilliant things Jalen said early on in the process was this family feels like the fractured pieces of stained glass that come together to create a beautiful whole. And so that that was my phrase. Like he said that and I was like, well, that's brilliant. That's what we're running with. And it was just like those kinds of moments of piecing together all the different bits of conversations to see like, what's the image, right? And then doing all of that. And so finding those deep, rich wood tones that live in church spaces, what those pews look like, what those colors of churches look like and what those colors of stained glass look like. I make a canvas that then everyone has to paint on top of. So Sometimes my job is to get out of the way, again, in terms of color. Sometimes my job is to get poppy in terms of color. Um, And in this moment, knowing that the majority of the actors would be in black because it was a funeral. We knew that from jump. Then it's my job to bring color into the world and not make it so saturated that it feels like, I don't know, a drama or a, a tragedy or anything. Like there's just different palettes that we wanted to play with and like iterative. I think that deck there were maybe nine or 10, maybe more versions of that deck in different colors and different iterations that we went through. And, you know, it's myself, it's my associate, it's my assistant. We're in the studio, we're we're modifying in Photoshop, we're printing off a thing, we're taking a photo of it, we're sending it to the director and the lighting designer. And like, just so that everyone can see it and say like, yes, I can work with that or this needs to change. Douglas sees it. Like, is it too much purple? Is it not enough purple? Is there too much blue? Is it like, how do we break those colors up? Um, But we knew stained glass was our framework. And I was doing like my second sketch of the show. I'd gotten notes from Jalen. And I just like had found this image of that radiating stained glass. And I was like, oh, how do I take that from the wall and put it on the floor and, and use that as an abstraction so that we can go to multiple locations? And then we were off to the races. And it was like drawing that shape. All of a sudden, the show kind of opened up for all of us. And we're like, oh, now we can play. And now we can start, well, this makes me think of this. And this makes me think of this. And, this, and so all of a sudden was a kind of a snowball effect of what the design could be and how we take it down the road. Um, and all of us putting our, our hats in the ring and all of us putting our thoughts on the table and kind of mixing it all up and seeing what came out of it. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Page to Stage. This episode is part one of a two-part episode with today's guest. Check back next week for part two. To keep up with us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Page to Stage Podcast. Until next time. That's Brian. That's Mary. And we'll see you later. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now 
and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.